Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Asbury, Methodist Village, and Montgomery County take senior living to the next level, creating extraordinary opportunities for a fulfilling future. Work your brain and body in our new wellness center. Stroll our expansive campus and 17-acre nature preserve. Stay sharp with our resident-run college and find so many new ways to get involved and make a difference for others. Anticipate more from your retirement. Visit asburymethodistvillage.org today. Your future's here. Equal opportunity housing provider. Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Tool Shed. This is episode 157 of the Fantrax Tool Shed with Clay and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. Both Chris and I are now back from the Arizona Fall League and First Pitch Arizona. Shout out to Brent and Ray and Ron Schindler and all the good folks over at Baseball HQ for another wonderful event. It was a fun time out there seeing some live baseball at the Fall League, which we'll be talking about today seeing all the good panels and podcasts and just chatting with baseball with all of our good industry friends. So shout out to Baseball HQ. And if you can get out there next year, definitely recommend it. As I mentioned, we're going to be breaking down the all of our live looks from the Arizona Fall League, including little Matt Mervis, Jordan Walker, and plenty of others. And with me, of course, my 80 great co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, how are you adjusting from going East Coast to West Coast, now back to East Coast? I'm still so tired. It's ridiculous, but we're here. It's like 24 straight hours awake last Wednesday, and now it's Tuesday, and I still feel like I'm just like drained because, you know, we flew out early Wednesday morning, got there early Wednesday, West Coast time, and then spent all day awake and then went to bed late. There's always people to hang out with and all that good stuff. And then going back on, I flew back Saturday night, flew flew back Sunday night, but both red eye flights and Mm -hmm. no sleep and then get back up and and get at it again. And it's just like, I can't adjust. I'm like trying to get back to a normal schedule and I just can't, but it was worth it. It is certainly, I would advise this worth going, even though I'm complaining about the sleep, you know, (laughs) that you can always sleep later, but you know, the friendships, the the games, all that good stuff, you'll never be able to have unless you you go. So I would definitely recommend going and having a good time at, at first pitch and the AFL. I think we're, we never fully caught up from that first day. Like you mentioned how no. we were like 24, 25 hours without, you know, sleeping. I don't think we caught up from that. And I think it just, just kept, it was just a, that trickle down effect that kept carrying over, carrying over. And now even though we're both back home in Maine and South Carolina respectively, <laughs> It's we're still paying for. Her. I'm sure we'll get maybe this weekend. We can sleep in a little bit and get caught up. But I feel like next year I need to go out on Monday and Tuesday and just adjust <laughs> to the. I know, like literally, just go to games. Nobody will be out there and just adjust to the the time change and go to sleep like right after we get back from the 6:35 game and then adjust and then be good when when everybody starts getting out on Wednesday Thursday. Right. We won't we won't feel bad about going to bed early if you know <laughs> nobody's out there to talk exactly. To. But yeah, it was uh. It was a blast being out there. You know, if you go out there, recommend going to the Hen House, which is where Chris and I go every time. Breakfast place has huge portions, very good food. But enough talking about oh, Hen House is very good and worth <laughs> discussing. But yeah, let's let's talk about some AFL today. But before we do, the usual housekeeping out of the way here. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I'm Eric Cross. Zero four shows at Fantrax Toolshed. 
which we have a lot of video up there and on our YouTube as well. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash toolshed. A lot of good stuff going on over there. And, of course, check out all the great stuff going on over at Fantrax and Fantrax HQ. 2023 leagues are already open, and we get a lot of good content on HQ as well. So go check that out. We're going to divide this episode up, National League and American League. figure that was probably the easiest. Let's start with the American League and Edward Julian, who was very impressive you know, in general, though we, we were making jokes about how many swings per at bat he would have. And usually the over under was like one and a half because he just wouldn't swing. That's the thing with Julian. He does not swing at a pitch he doesn't like and he is very good pitch recognition. But it's gotten to the point where, Chris, are we start? Is it possible that he's going to be into that, you know, too passive category and that's going to hurt him a little bit? Probably, you know, it reminds me a lot of Nolan Jones, like yeah. Nolan Jones really hurt himself as a prospect just because he didn't swing and that was kind of his downfall. And, you know, who knows what he'll end up being. Julian's interesting, I think. And we saw he was in the home run derby and he just didn't have the power that yeah. many others had that were in the derby. So that was a bit concerning, too, that we didn't really see the power. I definitely want to see more out of him than I did in games because we probably saw him as much as any anybody else like as far as you know just a game standpoint like I feel like probably saw him at least every day and he just while not unimpressive just didn't do anything to impress because he didn't swing the bat enough and like not an exaggeration or a joke that he legit probably swung like one time per at bat and that's yeah that's just kind of crazy to, to think about but I'm into an extent, but I'm not going to go crazy with them. And I'd also advise, like, you know, there was a lot of people out there at the AFL, at least for first pitch. There was a lot of video going out. There was a lot of takes on players. But I think the best thing that we can do from the AFL is not, you know, overreact too much. You know, it, at best, we were there Wednesday through Sunday, and we at best saw these guys three games, so right. four games. So, the best thing we can do is to not overreact. And I think it's a lot more a confirmation bias. Like I went in looking for something from Nick York and we'll talk about him. And I'm not really sure that I got what I was looking for. So in a way, confirmation bias, Matt Mervis got a little confirmation bias from, of what I wanted to see from him. But these, there's a lot of other players too, that are going to be in my rankings next time that, weren't previously ranked but it's not like they're gonna be huge swings like i'm not gonna put somebody that was unranked inside my like top 200 or 150 like the just i would advise not to overreact and like one that i think people are gonna overreact to is carson wisenhunt and we can talk about him in a little bit but anyway my little tangent don't overreact to the little bit you saw from a small sample of games i think the larger body of work over the full season is still the most important thing while the afl does provide some confirmation bias yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, it, it was good to get some live looks at these guys and with Julian, especially. Yeah. So he's one of the more impressive hitters out there. You just look at, look at the, you know, all the stats he has this, you know, out there. Slash on looks great. Power, a little bit of speed, but obviously the OBP is phenomenal. But yeah, I, I'm just seeing how passive he was. And we, like, we were joking that he was going to take a walk during the home run derby. Like, that's how passive he is. He, he and, literally, he did. I mean, like, he would have. He They got two minutes and 30 seconds, and he was taking pitches. Like, what are you doing? I know. You don't, you know, there's no, like, bonus points for having a higher percentage of swings become home runs. Like, like you swing, dude. Like, if you, even if you don't make good contact, it's better than no swing at all. So, yeah, I, I mean, I like Julian a lot. And, you know, there's some platoon splits there. You know, this year he was really rough against lefties. Last year, not as bad. So hopefully that's not a thing that pushes him into like a strong side platoon thing or anything like that. But yeah, I, I bumped Julian up a good amount. I'm going to bump him down a little bit from where I moved him up to. Again, I don't make massive jumps or you know decreases in my rankings because of this. But it has me wondering if he just falls into that better. And I can't even say better real life player because he's not really that good defensively. Like he's a good real life bat for Minnesota. And I think you get definitely have some value even as a strong set platoon guy, but is that going to translate into a lot of fantasy value? I don't know. I, I still, you still top hundred for me. Absolutely. But I was going to be putting him top 50. Maybe I'll move him down to like 60 or 70 range. I'm not sure he's quite top 50 with how passive he is, but maybe he starts showing a little bit more aggression and you know, 
He's got he's got decent power. It's not like he's got no power, but he's just not like a home run derby type guy. That's for right. sure. But yeah, yeah, weird. Yeah, I think that's yeah, that was a weird fit. So I think this is our takeaway from him. But someone that did have a very impressive home run derby and he's had a very impressive AFL in general is Heston Kerstad. He lost to Robert Perez Jr. from Seattle in the finals by one home run. I think he might have actually had the most home runs hit total because he was doing pretty well in the first. He was the leader heading into the final rounds. It's a very good performance there. And overall, like I said, very impressive fall league showing. He's got five home runs and nine doubles in 95 plate appearances out there. 371, 400, 663 slash line. K rate's a little high, but you know, just good to see him get those reps in. Not surprised he's out there. Obviously, with all the time he missed to the myocardiosis, something like that. Myocarditis. <laughs> Thank you. I see. I'm always like a little bit off. I, I know roughly what it is. That what Chris said. The heart issue. Let's put it that way. So. Good to see him get out there. I, you know, he did fairly well in, in season as well between low A and high A and doing well out in the Arizona Fall League. The power is for real. Like I said, there's a little bit of swing and miss to his game, but he was definitely one of the better performers I saw out there and had one of the better batting practices in the uh, before the Fall Stars game as well. So very confident. I'm rebuffing him up a bit. I don't know about top about 100 yet, but I think like top 125-ish range is where I have him now. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think he was one of those confirmation bias guys that we wanted to see. So much missed time due to injuries and the myocarditis. Like it was just a much needed thing for him. And he put on a show in the AFL. I mean, not in the AFL, but the home run derby and the AFL too. And the numbers have been really good across the board. We saw him hit some really solid balls to all fields, especially on the Friday night game against Scottsdale. He was just peppering the ball to all fields. I think he ended up just a homer away from the cycle that night, which was a pretty impressive to see from him. He had a, he legged out. Did he leg out a triple? He did, didn't he? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was straight hustling to get this triple and he moved well, like for his size, like he impressed me going around the bases. Yeah. I've still got all the film on my camera. I've got to go back and go through, but yeah, he was one that impressed me and stood out probably as much as any hitter. Really like the swing, got some good up-close looks at it. And he's one where I think could really pop off. Maybe he could even get some time with the Orioles this year. He's He'll be 24 in February, so you know I know he hasn't played at super high level. He hadn't gone above high A, but you, know, you never know if they're going to be aggressive with him or not. But he looks the part, and I think he is ready. Yeah, I, I do think it'll be a quick rise. Like I said, he got low A, high A this past year. Got to assume he starts in double A this year. And, you know, he, he might be up, you know, second half of the season. I can definitely see that. And, yeah, I, I still have high hopes for him. I think he can be a, you know, 260 ish type of bat. I think 30 home runs, like the power is easily plus. I won't say double plus, but easily plus gets good loft. Is that na- that natural swing path that generates loft very well? He's just a strong dude. Like when we were out there in the outfield, because, yeah, Chris and I were out there chasing down home run balls, didn't get one. But so we were going, I forget who was hitting before him, but it was a righty. Oh, was it maybe it was Davison de los Santos? Yeah, who I nicknamed Thigh Master because if you look <laughs> at Davison's thighs, they're the size of most people's like waist. Like he, his legs are huge. But anyway, so we were over in left field, obviously, for him, and he was in tanks. So then Carousel comes up, we're hauling around center field to get over. The, and we start, you know, if you, if you ever seen Sloan Park, which is the spring training home for the Chicago Cubs, there's you know the hill in out there in, in the outfield. So we start like. We get into right field, we're kind of trotting down the hill, kind of diagonally over towards the bullpen. And then he just starts hitting bombs over us. Yeah. And Chris, I mean, you ran back for one that was way back by that Hornitos tent. It went uh, out of the, it bounced out of the stadium. It hit the concrete and bounced out. Oh, did it bounce full? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I lost sight of it. And then the people, I couldn't tell where it bounced. Yeah. I was but tracking yeah. it. I thought I was going to get it. <laughs> I thought you were too, man. You had a beat on. So I was, I was further down the hill. So you were kind of still a little bit further up the hill. So, yeah, you darted out there. I was like, I'm not even going to try for it at that point, but I thought you got it. We're going to get it. But, but yeah, Kirstad was hitting tank. So, I think this could be a 30 home run bat. Uh, I don't know if he brought any speed, but, you know, solid three-category guy that, you know, have an average that won't kill you. So, I think he's going to be definitely a good investment now. So I think the price is going to just go up next year. So, I'm, I think it's going to be a nice year for him in 2023, that's for sure. 
keeping it in the American League East here. One guy that I just wasn't impressed. Again, small sample size. Take all this with a grain of salt. Don't make any big jumps, like Chris said, from this. But just from his showing in the games I was at and the batting practice, which is one of the more underwhelming ones I saw, that was Nick York. And, you know, I think we've both been have been pretty big supporters of Nick York on the show over the last couple of years. I know you've got some live looks at him earlier this year down down there in Greenville. So I don't know. I'm like I saw I still think Nick York is a big leaguer. Like I think he's gonna have a, you know, ten plus year career, but is it gonna be one that's gonna lead to a lot of fantasy value? I'm not sure. Like the speed is I think gonna be not a big part of his game, maybe five to eight steals, something like that. Maybe 12 to 15 home runs and then average that won't kill you, but is he going to hit over 300? I mean, he's doing well out there in general. 342, 424, 526 line, two home runs, eight doubles, and a steal. But I don't know. I'm starting to wonder if he's should he be even top 100 right now, Chris? I don't know. I mean, that's what I was talking about with several people out there. It's like, what does he actually project to be? And like, how does that translate to fantasy? It is pretty interesting. He made a pretty significant change to his swing and his stance while he's been out in the AFL. His hands are really high now, which is weird. And then he drops them down. Like his hands are like above his head. It's kind of bizarre. Yeah. Very, he's narrowed the stance a bit and it just looks different. He doesn't look as comfortable with that swing change. And you're right. Like I saw him a ton in Greenville. He was in Greenville all year. And I know he spent time injured, sick, like he had a lot going against him. So I kind of gave him a pass, but, I don't know. I'm just not comfortable with what I've seen. And like, what does he project like? I mean, yeah. To me, like, he's might might be a 15 home run bat. And so, if that's the case, then like, where's the steals at? And he doesn't. He's not the fastest. He doesn't run that well. So I, maybe five to ten stolen bases. And then if you're projecting the high end of the hit tool, and yeah, so what York is good at it, like Julian is strike zone recognition, so he doesn't chase often out of the zone, but also he's not making like elite zone contact either. So maybe he's a 270 hitter. So you do the math, 270, 15, we'll give him eight stolen bases. I just don't see that as a very valuable fantasy asset. So I'd get off of him if you could. I mean, maybe you want to buy low and take a chance. Like I'm not opposed to it, but I'm I'm selling if I can, to be honest. I am too. And I heard comps from, you know, anywhere from Ty France. I don't know if I, you know, maybe high end Ty France, but I don't even know if that's an outcome at this point with New York. I'm, I'm trying to be too negative. I still think, I'm, I'm not saying he's bad. I don't think either of us are saying he's bad. He's still a decent prospect, but he, every time I look at him and just look at, you know, video and what I saw and his stats and everything put it all together, I'm like, this is a top 100 guy. And I, I kind of think maybe he's a, Poor man's Jeff McNeil. I think that might be a possible outcome for him. But I don't know. Yeah, and you, you want to see, I got video up in my Twitter feed from batting practice to show you what, what Chris was talking about, how the hands are very high. They drop some down if you want to see that. But yeah, I am I had him 66 last update. Live rankings, I have 90 right now. But I'm looking at some of the next, you know, 15 to 20 names. I'm starting to think I'm going to move them down outside my top 100. So yeah, it's definitely I'm yeah, I'm more out than in right now and not fully out, but yeah, I would agree with Chris. If you can get, you know, a decent return for him right now for someone that still believes in Nick York being like a top fifty guy or something like that, I'd probably look to sell. Last name in the American League that we wanted to touch on, a guy that I am definitely in on. Actually he put up one of the better performances in the you know batting practice session out there before the All Stars game. That's Alusa on how Acuna, who the announcers at the stadium could not say his last name right. They kept saying Acuna. I'm like, no, it's, you know, it's I know. You, you should, and I think they all get pronunciation guides too. I don't know. Right. But yeah, obviously it's Acuna. We all know that. But yeah, he coming off a pretty good year between high A and double A, 277, 369, 426, 11 home runs and 40 steals. Only got, got caught nine times. Out in the AFL, you know, the numbers don't do it justice. You're only getting 247. Yeah, he's got two home runs and seven steals, five extra base hits total. But he was hitting some absolute tanks from the right side in batting practice. So he was putting them, I guess, 425, 430 out the left field. So 
and we mentioned it on this podcast before, there's sneaky power here. He doesn't have Ronald's power, so don't go overboard here. But he also has a, a swing that is very reminiscent of Ronald, the, the lower hand set up, kind of that loose you know, setup that Ronald has. And got the speed, you know, solid enough. I think he's at least a uh, 50 hit, maybe 55. We'll see how he develops. But I think there's a lot to like here. And if he continues kind of growing into that power and showing it more in games, maybe he's not more than like a 15 to 20 homer guy, but add that in. So what looks like probably, you know, 20 to 25 steals and a solid batting average. I think he's worth, you know, I think he's, earned a spot in my top 50 overall what do you think chris yeah and he's one that i definitely wanted to see he was solid across the board it was interesting you know if you go on his baseball reference page it says jose acuna <laughs> and that was actually some of the players were calling him that like you know yep. at the, if you're at the afl it's pretty quiet like there's you know not a lot of people for most of the game so like they would like he scored one time and they were like way to go jose i was like okay that's interesting so i don't know what he's what his name is i know it's name's Luis on hill but does he go by Jose? Uh, not really Jose, sure. Jose, Jose's his middle name for what it's worth. But yeah, yeah. Maybe it's some. You know, maybe his his buddies call him Jose. It's easier <laughs> for them to say, I guess. So yeah, that is that is probably true. Yeah, Jose easier to say than Luis on Hell. What lot, lot less syllables? Right. So he has struck out a decent bit out there, but I'm willing to give him a pass on that. Like I said, stats don't mean everything to me, but he was encouraging for the things I saw. You know, some some good swings. He had some good line drives in the outfield. Wanted to see the power. Never really saw him, like, get to, like, big power, but some solid hits. So I really like the profile. You know, how projectable is he? I'm not sure. But we did see him hit 11 home runs this year, and he stole 40 bags. So even if you're talking about a, a 15 home run bat, you think he definitely is going to steal more bases than Nick York. And yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if the bag never just that – similar i mean maybe i'm a little maybe i'm a little high on acuna's batting average but i do think that acuna could push like 265 270 which is a solid batting average when you have some decent power and good speed like he does yeah i I think if you look at just the bat i think overall it could be very similar to york's maybe even a, a touch above york's i think there's maybe a touch more raw power potential with Acuna, but where the separation is, is the speed. Like the speed is not going to be even close. And right. I, I might have even been on the you know, more conservative side with that 20 to 25. Like he could, I could see a future where he's a 30 steel guy or at least in that, in that ballpark. And I think, like I said, I think York's under 10. I think we both agree with that. So yep. I think that's where the real separation and value is going to come from. And right now I have him 49 in my live rankings is up from 73. In my last HQ update, he's right in a glob with, you know, Kyle Harris. Uh, so I don't want to mention pitchers. Kind of like, oh, he's right behind, a few spots behind Edward Julian, who I said probably bumped down a little bit. Sal Frelick, George Valera, Kevin Alcantara, you know, Alexander Canario uh, are got in that range as well. And he's still, you know, he's still fairly young. He's only about, you know, 20 and a half years old, got the double A. So, you know, makes his performance even more impressive. You know, down in the uh, Texas League there this summer, and even though he did struggle when he got called up, you know, he only hit only hit two twenty four in thirty seven games after hitting three seventeen in fifty four games in High A Hickory. But yeah, I think he's a back end top fifty guy, and I think he's even with the name Acuna, I think he's still a bit undervalued because you look at you know the the lower power and the home run totals in the minor leagues, and the fact that he hasn't really you know torn the cover off the ball like we mentioned out there in the AFL. I think there's still a, a decent buying opportunity right now in Dynasty League. So that's something I would definitely take advantage of for sure. Yeah. And also the underrated aspect, his glove was incredible. He played oh, absolutely incredible at shortstop, like just baffling some of the plays he made, which while semi-irrelevant to fantasy does give him a good boost of value because it gives him a higher floor to make the majors. And, you know, what I saw was really, really impressive. So I was a fan of everything I saw from Acuna. I do wonder where he fits in, though, because yeah. Texas has that Olympia locked up for a bit. I don't remember. Yeah. What, what was Seager's uh, seven year, eight year? What I think was Seager was 10 years. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was 10. Now, Semyon was the one that was, but still, they have both, and you know, maybe they move off eventually, but I don't think a move off of, you know, middle infield is imminent for either Semyon or Seager. 
They get young at third now. I mean, there's still some time to figure that out, but maybe, oh, I could see him being a tra- in a kind of a trade to get some pitching. That's what they really need. Like their lineup is, you know, pretty solid. You know, we'll be adding young to it. You know, Lowe took a step forward as well as we saw last year. So the lineup's pretty solid, but the pitching staff is still massive question marks. Maybe they use Acuna in as a package to get a, a solid arm. I could I, see that. Yeah. And that would be helpful. Get him into a spot where as Egypt at the playing time, you know, he's a guy that was, as he, like Chris mentioned, defense is, is very solid. He's got the glove. He's got good footwork, got the range. So he's definitely a guy that could play short for, you know, many, many years in, in the major league. So we'll see, but maybe he's got a name to keep an eye on here in the trade rumors this off season. We'll see, but all right, let's go ahead and take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Support for fan tracks tool shed. It's brought to you by manscaped. Who's best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance Package. Join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with its exclusive offer for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping using the code TOOLSHED and manscaped.com. It's time to take get some new tools for your shed and take your grooming game to the next level. The Performance 4.0 package has arrived by Manscaped, and it's a game-changer. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, the Crop Preserver ball deodorant, the Crop Reviver toner, the Performance Boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. Whether you want the Performance 4.0 package or any of those great items individually, this code works for you, and you can get 20% off the Lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming and, dare I say, the greatest ball trimmer ever. I'm blown away by its performance and its craftsmanship. This fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade, not to cut you, but reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 4,000K LED spotlight that you need for your most precise shaves. Because it's waterproof, you can use it in the shower and say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. You thought that was good, but Manscaped wants to take your grooming game even further with the new Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. It's also waterproof and provides the same proprietary skin-safe technology to help reduce nicks and snags in those delicate nose holes. The Crop Preserver Below the Waist Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Toner will change the way you approach your daily hygiene routine. And Manscaped even throws in two free gifts for you in their Performance 4.0 package, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. It's time to take care of yourself and take your comfort to the next level. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping using the code TOOLSHED. All right, welcome back from the break. Let's head over to the National League now. And what better place to start than the man that has more hype than anybody out in the Arizona Fall League right now, Mr. Matt the Masher, or what they call him, Matt? Mash. Just call him Mash, yeah. Mash Mervis, which is actually a great nickname. But he is just – his. 2022 in totality has been absolutely phenomenal after hitting 309 379 606 with 40 doubles and 36 home runs between high a double a and triple a he's now up to six home runs which is tied for the league lead out there in the afl hit one in the fall stars game as well an opposite field tank which probably i didn't get the data on it but it was probably i'll say 420 to left center off a submarine sidearm righty. I think he hung a slider that Mervis just creamed out there. So I I was joking. If you, uh, I have the video up on my Twitter feed. If you listen to the audio, you'll hear me and Spora yelling, but uh, I think I yelled something along the lines of that. Just put his ADP up another 20 spots because his ADP has been on the rise in a hurry. Uh, For example, there was a DC that both Chris and I were in Saturday afternoon before the Derby and our good buddy Justin Mason took him with the first pick in the 16th round. So that is pick 226 overall. It's probably going to be top 200 pretty soon, especially if he has a hot spring training. So I don't know, Chris. I like Mervis. I like him a good amount. He's top 75 overall for me in terms of my prospect rankings. But, man, I don't know. if I think this now might be a good time to maybe sell or at least see what you can get for offers with how I'm not saying get rid of him. I believe in him, but man, to see what you can get for offers because the hype is ridiculous right now. 
Yep, he's got all of the hype right now, and I would be 100% on board with trading him if I could. I mean, there's no chance I'm paying a top 280p for him in redraft. It's just not happening. I, I don't know. The hype is too much. I'd take him where he was going like over the first couple of DCs, like 350 range, but no chance I'm paying a top 200 price. For him. We don't even know if this guy's the first baseman for the Cubs. And yes, he is interesting. Yes, he has good power, but I don't know. It's it's at the end of the day, we've seen one year of dominance. And yes, we've talked about it before how a lot of it was out of his control with that no 2020 season, etc. I like Matt Mervis, but he is way too much hype and a prime sell candidate in my book. Yeah, when when I see that ADP creeping up and I just can't get behind it. I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I was liking where his, his value was, but now it's gotten to the point where it's gotten to unrealistic expectations. Like you're now giving such a small chance at a positive ROI with a near top 200. And he went even higher. There was two DCs at the same time going on Saturday afternoon. I think he went like, you know, 205, 210 or something like that. Yeah. And the other ones, he went even higher than Justin took him in, in this league. And I don't necessarily fault Justin for it. I think it was fine with his team construction, and he he needed the corner infield bats. But at the same time, like I took Torque, I think forty to fifty picks later, Cassis went about forty to fifty picks later. So I'd rather take a chance on those guys there than than Mervis top two hundred. So yeah, like I said, I, I think there's a good bat here. I think there's two sixty, two seventy ish hitter. 25 30 home runs. I think he's at a play. I think there's a chance for a potentially impact bat, but man, right away, this is you know, if you're drafting him that high or evaluating him that high for dynasty, I think it's you know, you gotta take a step back here and let's not go overboard with him. And I think that's where it is right now. It's overboard with, with Matt Mervis. So, like I said, I'm not saying to get rid of him, I'm not saying I don't believe in him, but definitely, like, this is I've said it. So many times over the years with my analysis, both in, in on here articles, that he falls into one of those three ideal times to sell, which is when those, the hype gets so out of control when the performance is there right before he's scheduled to debut in the major leagues that you can get a pretty good return on him. So, again, don't get rid of him, but to see what you can get, you know, put him on the trade block, you know, put a message out to your league, however your league communicates for, you know, stuff like this and just. See what you can get. You might get a a pretty good return on him. Moving on to Jackson Merrill. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of positive talk about Jackson Merrill out in the Arizona Fall League as well. He's had a pretty good showing out there. You know, the numbers don't wow you, but there's a lot of hits. He's kind of cooled off lately, averages on a 259. But overall, I can see why there's a good amount of hype on him. But similarly, I hate that word. To Matt Mervis, I think the hype has gotten to a point where it's a bit out of control right now. Like I said there's a solid prospect here. Like I think he's a guy that you know could be ranked back end top 100. But I know the data is good on him, which I've seen. But man, I think now is a good time to sell high in Jackson Merrill again. I don't think he's bad. I think he's gonna be a pretty solid player. But I just don't know if I see a high impact fantasy guy. He might be one of those better real life than fantasy guys. But what are your thoughts on Jackson Merrill, Chris? Yeah, I think that's pretty fair because one, he just hits the ball in the ground far too often. It's going to be, I mean, he's got to make some swing tweaks to to lift the ball more consistently. So that's obviously a question mark, but at the same time, like he's capable of hitting the ball hard, but we haven't really seen it translate to game power yet. While he's just 19, there's still time. He's got a projectable frame. I think that's what we're kind of basing it on. But at the end of the day, like, I'm not willing to to go overboard on Merrill. But I don't know how much he'll run either. I think that's a question mark. And for fantasy purposes, I think back in top 100 is fair, but it seems like the hype has gone well beyond that. So I am open to selling if possible, just because there's a lot of hype around that name right now. And I'm not sure it warrants going beyond like back in top 100 at this point. Yeah, I'm there with you. Keeping it in the National League Central, let's go over to the St. Louis Cardinals. We saw their three top prospects were all up there. Jordan Walker, Tink Hentz, and Mason Wynn. 
Jordan Walker, he came as advertised, almost had two home runs out there. One of the falls, oh, he's had home runs, I'm saying, and, and well, we were out there, I should say. One of the, I think that was the first night game. Uh, was it the first night game we saw Walker? Chris was the second day. That was the second day. He didn't play. He went in that lineup the first All Oh, right. That's right. Yeah, he was in the lineup. But that first game, it was cold. It was very cold that day. Yep. Um, oh, yeah, that was the game at Sloan, wasn't it? Yep, that was. Oh, yes. Thursday night. Yep. That was like, what, high, maybe high 40s at that point in time. It was he, cold. He cranked one just right of dead straightaway center that I'm sure if it was 20 degrees warmer, it would have been out. Then he had one opposite field. He almost had two in the Fall Stars game that he went sent to the track, one that everyone thought was out, which even he saw he was slow trotting, and then he had to hustle when it hit on the warning track, and even the right fielder lost sight of it. And then he almost took Tink Hens yard to end the game. And yes, I didn't stutter there. I didn't say the name wrong. The AL ran out of pitcher. So Tink Hens came in to face Jordan Walker, which was really fun to end the uh, Fall Stars game. But Walker came as advertised. I am so impressed with this guy. He It's easy for him. And like I mentioned when I was out there, I think he could be like 95% of J-Rod. I think there's a lot of – obviously – now, I'm not breaking any news here. We all know what Jordan Walker is, but he I, he passed the eye test for a guy that's going to be an absolute stud in the major league. So I feel confident in saying that he's probably going to be the number one fantasy guy as soon as mid-April when Carroll and Gunner graduate. Yeah, I mean, he his swing is easy. The power comes naturally. He doesn't try to kill the ball. He moves well. I mean, he's massive, but he does move well for his size too, which is yeah. – Always good to see. We saw him in right field and in center field. He made a great catch out in right. I thought he moved well in center. Yeah, he's not going to be in center, so that's not an issue. But I do think that he's capable of playing right, and I think that the Cardinals, if he has a good spring training, start him out pretty early in the majors. I don't. I'm not sure what else there is to prove at this point. So, yeah, no, same here. And then uh, we can talk about the rookie draft that we are both in. Uh, now that we already had the panel and Walker went, I believe it was the, um, there was only eight teams. He went on that, that first round, second round turn to, uh, I believe it was Christopher Crawford from NBC sports edge. So he went pick eight overall on that. And yeah, Walker spent the entire year at double a and yeah, I think he gets triple a. And if he's, you know, doing Jordan Walker things in triple a, he's probably gonna be up soon. And I wouldn't be worried about the you know how things went this year with St. Louis because obviously they have a lot of names that are all pretty solid bats that they've been trying to get in the lineup. Walker will force his way into that lineup uh, when he's ready. He's not going to be up there, you know, getting a short leash or anything like that. He will be given a long leash to you know do his thing. And yeah, he's he checks up all the box. I think he's gonna be you know two eighty hitter. Now, I don't think three hundred. There's a little bit of swing and miss to his game. Not a ton, but I think more like 280-ish, give or take a little bit either way. 30-plus home runs. You know, I think maybe not 20 steel guy, which he's been in the minor leagues, but more like, you know, 12 to 15 in that range and, and maybe more. That's what I, what I said about J-Rod. He exceeded my expectations there. So, though I think J-Rod's got a little bit more speed than Walker does, but 15 steel guy, 30-plus bombs, good average, good OBP. A lot of run production. He said be an absolute stud. As for Tink Hens, we only saw him – and uh, short bursts, I, I saw him pitch to uh, one batter, just which was Walker, in the Fall Stars game. And then we we saw an inning of him earlier. I believe it was, that was in that Thursday night game, which was cold. But yeah, he's just showing throwing short stints. Curveball is so damn good with hands. But w- what were your thoughts on Tink Hans? I know it was a short uh, look at him, but w- what were your thoughts on Hans? Yeah, he was impressive. Obviously, they can see a lot. The velo kind of ticked up as it went on. He's been in relief, as we've said, just inning stints at a time. By the end of the inning, he was up to 90. I think he hit 94, which was well below what he averaged during the season, but not really to be concerning there. The breaking ball was was nasty that we got to see, and he just looked really good overall. He's small but very athletic delivery. Checks a lot of boxes, and I would have loved to have seen him in, in a you know longer start, longer sample, but still, I, I really liked you can see every pitch that he threw on our YouTube channel. Yep, absolutely. There's a video up there of, of that. And, yeah, I think he's in that – he's put himself into that second tier, or the back end of the second tier you know, behind guys like, you know, the Yuri Perez's, the Gavin Williams, Taj Bradley. He's right around Bradley Harrison, 
in, in my rankings. I think he's my SP, I think eight or nine right now in my rankings and definitely has that potential to move up. And he's a little bit on the smaller side, but elite arm speed. And I'm, I'm wondering if the gun was a little low because it looked like he was throwing harder than that. He wasn't doing his usual velocity. I think he was kind of dialing it back a little bit, but yeah, he's going to be an absolute stud. And I, you know, I trust a lot of what St. Louis has done with, with pitching prospects that are good development organization in general. So yeah, I'm, I'm 100% buying into what we saw from Hens this year. And he's still very young till he just turned 20, like a month or two ago. So to get where he got and do what he did this year and then next year, he's a get up to, you know, where we have Tiedemann and Painter and you know, maybe even up top 20. You know, I think he's got number one pitching project upside. We'll see. There's a lot of guys that are very exciting right now, but he's definitely putting himself into that mix. Lastly, Mason Wynn, you know, he had a couple singles we saw. Didn't really do a ton. You know, he had an absolute cannon from short. It was, I forget who hit, hit it. It was a decent runner. Hit it to his, he took a couple steps to his left towards third base, bobbled it a little bit, but just picked it up. Through an absolute hose. I wish I got it on video, but I didn't. Uh, so obviously, doesn't matter. Everyone's like, "Why are you talking about that?" Doesn't matter. Fantasy, but this is fun to see. But Mason wins another one where I wonder if we went a little too high on win and rankings. Like solid hit tool there, good speed, but where is the power with him? So. I don't know. He didn't impact the ball a lot. I'm not trying to make it, uh, you know, a big assessment off of only a few live looks, but he's one where I don't, I don't know. Is he top 50? Maybe he should be more, I don't know, top 75. What are your thoughts, Chris? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the one thing that we can check for sure is the speed. Yeah, uh, we clocked him on a bang bang play at 407, which is 70 grade. So he's lightning fast. Man, he's swung and missed at some bad pitches, just chasing curves out of the zone, like ugly swings quite often and again don't overreact but it is going to be in the back of my head maybe we did go too high on him i'd like to see where the power is and i'd like to see him be able to hit consistently you know against breaking balls and we haven't really seen that overall i mean he's still got a 300 average in the fall league 417 wp but no power at all to speak of which is a bit concerning again i want to see the, the power come no questioning the speed, no questioning the glove and the arm at short, but can he hit breaking balls and can he hit for power is what I want to see moving forward. So I feel like we're describing not exactly, but pretty similar to a lot of the questions, the strengths, the weaknesses that Zach Veen has, who's another guy we have on our list here. So we must just lump him into this discussion because obviously, and we talked about Veen, you know, recently, but how his profile has really transformed and we were talking with our good buddy Chris Welsh a bit about this. So we were hanging out with him. He lives out there. And, you know, obviously the speed, well, as a pure runner, wins faster. But Veen is just not slowing down. Yeah, he got caught a bit when he went up to double A. But I think this is a 25 steel guy at this point, which is not anything close to what I thought he'd be back when he was drafted a couple of years ago. But at the same time, and he's hitting well up there too, sitting for a high average over 300 out there. But, Where's the power? Power has not been there. And I heard talks to people that kind of questioned if he ever does put on that good weight that you want to see. He's still pretty lengthy, a little bit on the lankier side, not really skinny, but has some projection left. But does he ever do it? He's kind of had the same body now as he did when he was drafted a couple of years ago. So you wonder where's the power with Veen? And you know, I think there's more power than. With wins, I, I have. I think I would have Veen ranked ahead win, but just where is Veen at right now? He's a hard one to rank, Chris. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I think that he's sacrificed some of his, you know, ability to get raw power for contact. He has shown the capabilities to make that consistent contact, and I was encouraged by a lot of what we saw from him. But at the end of the day. You have to wonder, like, what kind of power does he develop into? And, man, it that discourages me a bit. I don't know how much he runs in the majors. Yeah, I mean, he's instinctive on the base pass. He's not the fastest, but he does get big strides. He's got long legs. I, I thought he would have filled out the frame a little more at this point, but he hasn't. And that kind of leads me to wonder, like, you know, where the power will be with, with Veen. But at the end of the day, 
he's still making good contact. He's still in a lot of bases with ease at that just because he gets good jumps. He reads the pitcher well, and that's been encouraging. So maybe Veen, if worst case, Veen's a 15 home run bat, you can still hang your hat on the fact that he could steal, I think, 20, 25 bases. Yep. And then he could hit for a decent average, especially in course field. I like the bat-to-ball skills, how that's developed, and maybe the power's last thing to come. I still think that there's some room in the frame, but he's not filled out like I thought he would at this point. Yeah, Sam, like I said, he, I think he's basically the same as he was when he was drafted two years ago. Uh, he was he was during the uh, the COVID year, so I, I don't know. I mean, there's been some improvements. The, the approach has always been solid. Walker rate is over 10. It's about 12.5 or so percent. For his career, he trimmed the K rate down to a very manageable 22.5%. This year, though, it did go up a bit. Uh, that 22.5% in, in high A went up a little bit in double A. He, he didn't perform very well in double A. 177, 262, 234 slug. Overall, this year, 384 slug with a 139 ISO, which is terrible. But I thought this guy was going to be a 30 homer bat, especially at cores. And now I'm questioning that. So he's so hard to rank. He's still top 50 for me. And I think I might have him down too much. I'll probably have him like a 35 ish range because if he can get that power back up, like we've seen him, he's probably, he's at least, he's probably a 50 grade hitter. He's probably a hit, you know, which the neutral park is probably like a 260 ish hitter. I think he'll be like 270, 275 with that little Babbitt boop from Babbitt boop. Babbitt boost. There we go. From Coors Fields. And he had 15 home runs, 20 plus steals. That's still a very valuable bat. So I'm going to bump him back up a little bit in that mid 30s range. But that's something I really want to see. Yeah. I'll probably start back out at double A next year. And he's still only 20 years old. He'll be 21. When's he turn 21? He'll turn, actually, he turns 21 in about a month from now. So 21, probably starts to double A again next year. I think this would be a very telling year for Veen as to what he's going to be if that power comes next year, if he's still stealing in double A, had five steals and 10 attempts in 34 games there to end the year in Hartford. So we'll see. But I, I'm still confident in Veen, but I just want to see where that power is at next year. So I mean, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on uh, early on in the season. Let's go over to uh, back to the NL Central for a couple of Reds here. Noelvi Marte and Matt McLean. Man, McLean, he was so aggressive, Chris. Like he was swinging a, he's like almost like the polar opposite of Ed- Eduard Julian, where he was swinging at everything and he's had some cages in the minor leagues. I mean, I like the you know the nice little power speed blend. He's a smaller guy, but you know, quick back and drive the ball, sneaky pop. But I wonder if that approach is going to get exploited more and more as he climbs the ranks towards the major leagues possible and he was a little bit underwhelming just didn't see a lot of contact like i wanted to his contact rates aren't good in general yeah and the pitching with it being not so great out there is you thought he's one that could have taken advantage of it but he he hasn't so far and he was just uninspiring he's he's a little small like he just doesn't look big at all and so you question like what kind of power he can get to, striking out a lot. He is walking some too, but he just gets too deep in those counts. And you know, I'm I'm kind of questioning like what Matt McLean's role will look like long term because we saw him bounce up to Double A this year and he really struggled. Didn't get to much power at all. He struck out a ton. Posted a two thirty two average. I'm just a little underwhelmed by Matt McLean. I don't think he's a top one hundred prospect for me. Yeah, he's, he's a guy that was kind of that 80 to 90-ish range. But, yeah, I think I'm going to bump him out. I just don't think like – I said there's a good little power speed blend there. And I like it. But does he ever fully get to it and fully unlock it in games? Because of, I think hit tool is – it's not where people thought it would be. Like, this is a guy that was revered for his hit tool you know, coming out of UCLA. He's kind of – actually, was thought of as one of those kind of boring guys that – you know, with hit tool first and lacked, you know, big time power and speed, but he's kind of similar to Veen, you know, in the sense that he's his profile has shifted a good amount since that draft. And I believe yeah, he was in the same, you know, he was a year after Veen, but he's not that high hit tool guy. I think maybe he's still, he'll be 50 hit. I don't know, but it's shown that you mentioned Grizzly at 232 this year in double A. 
and he's hit 167 out there in the fall in 84 plate appearances. A K rate, when you combine the two, 28.2%. Walks a good amount, but I don't know. I kind of agree. I don't think he's 100, but I don't know. I, I want to still believe because of that power speed, but this, he's way too aggressive from what I've seen. So I'm starting to kind of cool my my liking of him. And then Noel V, on the other hand, is another one that's hard to rank right now. Like we're talking with Welsh again about how you know, Noel's gotten a lot bigger. Like he's he's not going to be shortstop. This is a third base or maybe even like a corner outfield frame that he hasn't really learned how to use. And it's like he was very awkward. I question where the speed's at long term with them. I think there's still potential with 30 home runs if he you know, learns his frame better next year. Uh, with all this, you know, this new added bulk, which has been good, it doesn't have a bad frame. It's just bigger, stronger. Just hasn't really adjusted to it. So I still think there's a potential for thirty homer bat and the solid hit tool. But if you're looking for a big time speed guy, I don't think that's going to be it. Maybe 10, 10, 12 in that range. But he's another guy that I'm having a hard time ranking right now. He's huge, yeah. I think he grew too fast for his body. Absolutely. Bulked, I say he bulked up too fast for for his size. And in doing that, like he slowed down the swing a bit, and it just seems like he's a bit uncomfortable in his body. And not to say that that can't change, but it is certainly something to watch with him. And you know, he he really did nothing to stand out in our looks. And I was certainly hoping to see a bit more, especially after I thought he was a bit uninspiring this year. I mean, he was fine after his trade to Cincinnati, but he was still in high A. Again, we're talking about somebody that just turned 21 mid-October. So after the fall stars, or or the fall league started, not the fall stars, the fall league started. So still young, but at the same time, like I have to really wonder like what the projection looks like. I really wanted to see him get to more power. He has just a 313 slug in the fall league, which is a huge hitter's environment. Walk to strikeout rates, fine. 12 walks, 12 strikeouts in the AFL. But again, I'm a bit concerned. I, I won't be lying to you if I said I wasn't. And I said at the beginning of the episode not to make many overreactions, but I might be overreacting a bit to Noel Marte where he's might be more back in top 50 than top 25 for me. Yeah, I'm not sure where I want to put him to right now. Oh, where do I have him right now? I can't seem to find him. Uh, I am 22 right now, but because I don't know, I still am trying to figure out what I project him as, and I still think there's a, I said, I still think there's a good bat there. I think potential 50 or me, I don't know if I'll say 55 hit, but I think he could be 50 hit, 60 power, maybe like 50 speed, like a 565 profile. So I, I still think he's a top 25 guy for now, but I think there's going to be a lot of fluctuation. Both, you know, whether it be positively or negatively, early on next year, like if he comes out and it's kind of underwhelming, I think you're going to see him drop pretty, you know, even outside the top fifty. But if he comes out next year and you know starts showing what we all think he's capable of doing, potentially, and he could be back up in the top twenty. We'll see. I don't know. If, I don't think he's ever going to be back to top ten where a lot of us had him ranked, myself included. But it's another one where I'm going to be keeping a close eye on him uh, early on, uh, even this training and early on next year. It'll probably be a double A to start next year. All right. We have a few more names on the list here. Another one that I'm kind of concerned with, and the guy that's had a good amount of hype, we mentioned his name earlier, the thigh master, Davison De Los Santos. Love the power. This is easy, easy plus, maybe even double plus raw power still he was the youngest one out there he's not even 19 and a half years old yet so i'm not you know not faulting him for his underwhelming performance but he confirmed what we saw in his stats this year where he's way 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 too aggressive doesn't walk enough k's too much good pop but he's not gonna add like a ton of speed and i don't think he ever will so that bat has to be there both in terms of you know get Average getting on base, and he got 306 this year, so you probably think I'm crazy, but I wonder if this is going to be a guy that gets as exposed in the higher levels as he climbs up the ladder. So he's a guy where I'm also wondering if I had him ranked too high. 
Yeah. I think I went too high on him too. He's one. I don't think he has a position in the field. I don't think he's even played in first base. Didn't, didn't look great, but the bat. Yeah. And the home run derby. He was awesome. He was so fun. Yep. I mean, he, he hit one. We were out there in the outfield and the berm is pretty big out there. Like the, the whole grassy area. And then, out in left field, like behind there, there's like a covered walkway and there's like a, a second story building. And he put one like on that roof and it bounced back. Like it was, I don't know how far it went, but I would have guessed 450 if if I was just guessing. Oh, I mean, yeah. he, he pounded it. And yeah, he can hit the ball hard, but he just doesn't hit the ball consistent enough. And at the end of the day, I think that I'm not sure that he's an everyday player. And he's got a lot to work on as he continues to move up the ladder. And if there's anybody that I drop really far after this, it's probably him. Reports aren't good. Uh, just doesn't look great at the plate. And so, hey, God, I feel like we're just being negative on these guys, which I hate, but I don't <laughs> know. I'm I'm probably going to drop Davison pretty significant because I went pretty high on him last update. Some good reports, good numbers, and – I'm just not really feeling it after seeing him. And I don't want to overreact too much, but I just don't have a good feeling about him. Yeah, I've dropped him. Too. He was 103 last on-site update. I currently have him 132. Where are you feeling? I know you probably haven't made made the move yet, but where are you feeling? Like, Give, give me a range here. Where do you think he's going to end up? Probably 150 or 200. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, he needs. Just, he needs. To, so it's not a big speed element here. And like I said he's. I think I don't see this body aging well. It's not a bad body, but it won't age to the point where he's. You know, he's not going to ever really add speed. So like I said he needs the bat to be fully there, not just the power. And yeah, he's this guy's already striking out way too much. And again, young for this league, young for where he was at during the season. So you know, factor that in. Don't can't be too negative on you know that approach but it is so aggressive and he, he needs uh, to that to be better he needs to adjust that he needs to make those changes a little more man, if we could find that middle ground between him and, and edward julian that'd be phenomenal yeah but, um, I agree. Com- combine the two of them take davison's power with julian's approach man you'll have a you know all-star caliber hitter there that's for sure all right a few more names real quick I'll hit quickly here as we get near the end of the show. Some more National League West guys, Luis Matos, Carson Wisenhunt. Again, we didn't see a lot. You know, Wisenhunt only went one inning, right, Chris? So we, we saw yeah, him. he went one and two-thirds where he gave him a one and two-thirds. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so he, he didn't look the greatest. But overall, you know, there has been a lot of positive things said about Wisenhunt. And we didn't really see a lot of Matos. I just want to mention him that I still 100% believe He's by low. You saw him kind of pick up, you know, the performance later in the year. He was, you know, injured earlier on in the season. So definitely a by low on Matos. But where are you at in Wisenhunt? Are you buying, even though he didn't look the greatest in our look, are you buying that uh, he should be moving up rank now? Uh, I'm not sure moving up is the, the way I'd go. But while there was a lot of bad in his start, like it wasn't terrible. I think the second batter of the game, you know, he walked the first two, and then he kind of settled in after that. He did strike out two in one and two-thirds. He finished with eight swinging strikes, five called strikes. He flashed the changeup, which is a really good pitch. A fastball sits 91-93. The breaking ball, like, I don't want to see a consistent breaking ball, and I didn't really see that. And while the changeup was good, it was the one that Javon Ward hit a mile it was a left-on-left yeah. left matchup. It was not. It was a matchup that he should have won, but Ward dominated it. And I don't know. He had eight swinging strikes, five called strikes on 42 pitches. So you take it for what it's worth. It was a, a one-start sample. It was a cold night. I, I don't know. Like He's one that I'm not going to overreact to because I, overall the reports have been really good on him from the AFL. But on the flip side, he's one that is going to require a lot of work, I think, just because of a lot of missed time. He had the suspension last year where he suspended for PEDs from NCAA. He pitched on the Cape this summer and was all right. He wasn't great, but not enough innings to, to really say. So you can look at the numbers. You're probably uninspired, but 
I'm willing to give him a bit of a pass until we see what he can do. I think Will Wizen Hunt's a really solid two pitch guy, but I really need to see a breaker, a fastball changeup. It's just uninspiring when the fastball is not like a, a blow away pitch there. So I'd like to see the curveball be more consistent. And at the end of the day, like I think that's really going to hinge on what he can do is if he can get consistent whiffs with a curveball. You know who he reminds me of, and this is not going to inspire any confidence in anybody outside <laughs> of who's the big fan of this guy. I think it was Reese Lights. I'm sorry. Uh, I apologize if that's not who it was. But Chris Bubich. Oh, yeah. That was it. Good. Fa- was it Reese? Yep, that was Reese. I, I'm not calling out Reese. Reese is yeah. a great guy. I'm just saying he, he's always like throwing that the Bubich fandom. I think he's, he just likes the guy. But, yeah. Good change up, sporadic breaking pitch. You know, so... I, I wasn't that's a top 100 guy. I think I have him in the 25, 350. I'd have to look. I'm pretty sure he's somewhere in that general vicinity in my rankings. So he's a guy decent enough, has some, has some potential, but best case, maybe he's a meh, SP4 in the major leagues and maybe more of a five or even a swing guy. So I, I won't go crazy on him, but I like him a decent amount. All right, real quick to end the show trio of Pittsburgh Pirates. Quinn Priester, Henry Davis, Nick Gonzalez. I think I can summarize these three in the ceiling. I think I'm starting to be a little lower on these guys. All decent prospects. Again, I'm not saying they're bad. I mean, this Priester's valued too high. Fast, great. I love the curveball. Changeup has shown some decent movement characteristics, though sporadically. Fastball, decent velocity, but it's just hittable. And Gonzalez can hit a high fastball. He was fed a steady diet of those. And Davis is pretty aggressive as well. I just wonder if I'm just a little lower than probably the average consensus ranking on them at this point. I mean, I've been telling people that Nick Gonzalez couldn't hit a high fastball since last summer, summer of 2021, because I saw him. I got crapped on a lot for that take, like hardcore, because people said, oh, it's just overreaction to a small sample. And it, it may have been, but like he couldn't, he was so late on like 93 up in the zone. And he, they attacked him that way over and over and over. And in a sense, like, yeah, I was wrong because he went on a tear after it. Like once Greensboro came through in uh, July, probably I saw him three times. And he was really good the final two months. But there was just something about the profile that I just didn't love. And this, this comp's gonna people are gonna hate, but it's Keston Hero. Like, oh, oh, I, I see so much of it there in the profile, and you're turning out the heartstrings of many out there. Now, I know, Chris. and I hate to do it, but like, I just want to be realistic on the guy. Like, good yeah. guy. Like, like he took time to take pictures with Chris Welsh's kids, which is awesome. Like, sign stuff, really cool. I'm just concerned about the ability to hit high fastballs because that was my report on him last year, even this year. It was still a question mark during the season. You know, I know he had some injury stuff, whatever, but still the question. And then every time I saw him, he got – that's all they threw him. Like he had to know that a high fastball was coming, and he still whiffed every single time. And we're talking about like mediocre fastballs at that. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just really concerned of what big league fastballs are going to do to him. I was already – he was outside my top 100 already, and – I just don't know where to rank him. Like, I want to because I, I want to keep him where he is because I know the intangibles are there. But it's like he's really got to make an adjustment to get those high fastballs. Or I'm just really worried about Nick Gonzalez. Now, Priester, we saw a mixed bag with him in the start. Like, we got four good innings out of him. There was some good. There was some bad. Colt Keith hit a monster bomb off of him, and there was some interesting stuff. Like, I think that his sliders. A really good pitch uh, mixes in the, the curveball some fastball and changeup just mm, just don't do a lot for me and and they need to to show more like I think what he was sitting consistently what 93 94 with the fastball if I'm not mistaken yep I'll have to look back at my book I've got everything tracked he he had some good swinging strikes like he made some hitters chase he had a really good at bat against Zach Fiend that's that I'm really gonna remember and think about like that's what he's capable of. Where he threw Veen nothing but the curve and the changeup, and the it was a four pitch at back. Green uh, Veen bounced out to first base, but he did get two really good. Actually, the the change was a good called strike on the outside. 
really like that. And the curve he dropped in, Avine had an ugly swing against. So, you know, those were encouraging to see. And I think there could be a really good four-pitch mix here, but there's just a lot of consistency that we need to see with Priester still. Man, Davis, he had some ugly swings. He got hit by pitch, like three at-bats that we saw him. Like, the ugly swings are going to be what I remember. And to me, like, behind the plate, like, he just looked kind of average. Like, receiving, throwing, like, thought that was supposed to be more of his calling card. Like, his arm is good. I'll give him that. But I think behind the plate, he's just, eh, okay. Like, I don't know. There wasn't a lot that inspired confidence in me of any of these guys, which was uh, a little bit discouraging. Yeah, at this point, I'm not even sure if he's a top 10 fantasy catcher or fantasy catching prospect because he's behind, uh, for me, uh, Alvarez, Andy, Ford, Wells, Soderstrom, whether you want to call him a catcher or not, Cartea, Yiner Diaz, Moreno, Bo Naylor, and Logan Hoppe. So, yeah, that's 10. So, he's my number 11 catching prospect right in fantasy. He's around, you know, 80 to 85 overall, which I think is I think it's fair. I think he's still top 100, but yeah, I, I wonder. I think there's a decent career for Henry Davis, but I don't think he's gonna make a, a huge impact. Maybe better high end two for fantasy, maybe bad in C one. Yeah, I think all three of these guys right now are, you know, you could probably get decent value for and trade, especially probably Davis and Gonzalez. So I'd entertain trading these guys, or at least seeing what you can get, but. That's going to wrap us up. Thanks to everyone for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. You can follow us on Twitter, Chris is at RotoClegg. I'm Eric Cross04, and our show is at Fandrax Toolshed. Check out all our written work at Fantrax HQ or over on our Patreon. And of course, check out all of our video over on our the Fantrax Toolshed YouTube channel. You can just Google or YouTube.com slash at Fantrax Toolshed and a new thing they're doing, but that's what it is. The URL. And join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk. But until then, Everyone take care. Asbury, Methodist Village, and Montgomery County take senior living to the next level, creating extraordinary opportunities for a fulfilling future. Work your brain and body in our new wellness center. Stroll our expansive campus and 17-acre nature preserve. Stay sharp with our resident-run college and find so many new ways to get involved and make a difference for others. Anticipate more from your retirement. Visit asburymethodistvillage.org today. Your future's here. Equal opportunity housing provider.